Hey everyone, really excited to have a fellow of mine, Paki. He and I worked together during the Rite of Passage Fellowship. He's a super interesting dude working on a lot of cool things. He used to be a former VP at Breather. Since then, he's kind of gone on to a bunch of different side hustles, but more importantly, wrote this long-form essay on the idea of Senius, which I won't steal your thunder, Paki, but you know, it is a really interesting concept that I hadn't put a lot of thought into before meeting you, before learning about this topic. He also has a great newsletter called Not So Boring, which has been growing pretty substantially over the past couple of months. And yeah, we'd love to let you introduce yourself, Paki. Yeah, I think you did a great job. Really excited to, to be here soon. And, and yeah, so Paki, I live in, in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, as you mentioned, I was at a company called Breather for uh, six years. I was our first US employee. I ran our New York market uh, and most recently was our VP of experience overseeing kind of all of our real estate design, operations, customer care, research. So a lot of kind of the physical side of the business. Left Breather last October and have really been kind of in this world of you know writing, community building. And yeah, and I, and this essay was kind of the intersection of a few different passions. So I had taken the Rite of Passage course last year in the first cohort. And it's one of the things that really helped me kind of one, decide to make the the jump and and leave my job. And then two, as I was thinking through kind of what I wanted to do next, writing was kind of the way that I did that. So like I would explore different industries or ideas through writing and use that as kind of my uh, exploration process. And so the one idea that I got most excited about was was community. I think there was, there's been a lot of talk about you know, the loneliness epidemic and people being addicted to their phones and not connecting as much in person. What I noticed in myself and in my friends is that when you graduate college, you kind of just start this slow descent into being more and more boring and focusing more and more on your work and maybe doing like going to a bar or, you know, hang out at home, but your hobbies and interests kind of decline. So I, I started a community called Not Boring which is a little bit on the nose, but to really build an extracurricular layer for adult life. So we had that up and running. We have a bunch of really great people in it. We were starting to do our welcome dinners and our, our kind of first events our debate club. We had an improv course coming up when coronavirus hit. So we canceled all the in-person events and moved everything online, but it's given me a lot more time to, to write. But in that exploration of uh, community, I realized I wanted a deeper understanding. So through the fellowship, got a chance to dig into the concept of Senius, which is this idea coined by uh, musician Brian Eno in about 2008, talks about the communal genius of a scene. So instead of looking back at history and saying, Michelangelo did this amazing thing that moved art forward, or Benjamin Franklin changed the way that Philadelphia as a city worked and that the country, the United States worked going forward, you look back and say like, oh, wow, Michelangelo was part of the scene. He was part of Renaissance Florence. He interacted with all of these other artists in the in the Bottega. He had this fabulous competition with with Leonardo that kind of pushed the two of them to to do better work. Then Franklin in Philadelphia had his Gento. So throughout history, all these things that look like the accomplishment of one person were actually the accomplishments of these magical scenes of people coming together and pushing each other and supporting each other pushing the world forward. Yeah. And what a remarkable topic to be talking about during the past six months where you started off kind of building all these in-person events, really using that as a launch pad for seniors. And then you get hit with COVID. You then switch to a lot of remote 
events, trying to kind of create conversations online. And that obviously changed things up as well. So definitely an interesting time to be talking about community building and, you know, something that you had started talking about in advance of COVID and when all of this stuff kind of took a different turn, which is really interesting. Let's kind of take things back to kind of where you started, right? As far as understanding the greatness of the individual and then understanding how the community around them formed, right? Because a lot of times we look at these success stories in isolation, right? If we look at Michael Jordan as an example on The Last Dance, we look at him as an individual uh, very like up until the documentary and even with the documentary, we don't fully get an appreciation of kind of the community around Michael Jordan as he was growing up, how that contributed to his greatness, perhaps the greatness of others. Then you look at the North Carolina team, right? And, and you think about all the different players there, how they kind of all became fairly successful, right? And then you look at the Chicago Bulls, same thing, right? If you look at each individual on those teams, it wasn't just that Michael Jordan became the greatest player or arguably the greatest player of all time, but you saw each individual around him well exceed their potential, right? Totally. And like, how do you construct that for me? Like, how do you actually create seniors and how do you like dissect or like understand seniors in hindsight? Yeah, I think that's, that's actually a really good example. Not one that I wrote about, so it makes it more fun to kind of do that one do that one on the fly and we could just do the bulls. So to take a step back in terms of like what the kind of what the ingredients are. So big point of the essay was to say, Kevin Kelly, who was the editor of Wired Magazine, leading writer in the tech space in 2008, wrote an article kind of talking about seniors. So if Eno coined the term, Kelly popularized it on his blog and he found four factors that nurture seniors mutual appreciation. So the group supporting each other and appreciating and applauding each other's great moves rapid exchange of tools and techniques. So one person learns one thing, another person picks that thing up and kind of uses that as their new baseline and they're always trading tools and tips. Network effects of success. So one person does well, they pull the group up with them. Local tolerance for the novelties. So trying the types of new things that, that create progress. Again, kind of applauded, supported by the group, even if the outside world didn't quite get it yet. He ended up in that essay saying, you know, these things have been there in the past when Seniors has come to be, but you can't really make Seniors happen. The best you can do is not fuck it up. And, and if you see Seniors forming, don't put it in a boardroom. Don't get the lawyers and accountants involved. Don't touch it. Just let it happen and don't mess it up. So a big kind of part of my exploration was understanding whether or not you could help conjure Seniors. And I think what we got to and what I got to in the essay was that I agree with Kevin Kelly that you can't just point to a group of people and say, like, you guys are a seniors now. He points to an example of the cities that have tried to become Silicon Valley and failed as an example and, and confirmation of the idea that you can't create seniors. Where I got was, that's true. But it, when you have these small communities of, of really talented people forming, there are things that you can kind of add to the mix in addition to his four ingredients that help move it along and give it a better chance of becoming seniors, which I define as both being generative. So coming up with something new and, and novel. So a new way of doing art, a new way of playing the game of basketball, the triangle offense in this example certainly contributed to the Bulls, the Bulls success, and then influential. So future people doing the types of things that you were doing. So a future artist will build on top of the use of perspective that came out of Florentine, the Florentine Renaissance, it has to be kind of foundational for, for future generations to be a seniors. So to that, added a few different 
kind of ingredients that, that communities and groups can play with and add to the mix. One, and this is on the nose Jordan competition. Two is place-based ritual. And so that's the idea of having one, a space that the group meets and explored. And we can talk about whether that can happen online or just in person, but then really like this ritual, like every Friday night, we're going to meet and hear the things that we're going to talk about. And here's what people need to bring to, to the, to the meeting or to the, to the bar or to wherever. And then diversity of thought and experience. So really kind of like a lot of the beauty and the new ideas come at the intersection of old ideas and different perspectives and the way that different cultures and different people look at things. Uh, and then fourth, and the one that made it so interesting in COVID, because COVID hit in the middle of the fellowship, in the middle of writing the essay, is emergence from catastrophe. So something really bad kind of had to have happened in 11 of the 13 cases that I look at in the essay. Something really bad, like the bubonic plague or World War One or World War Two, came before the formation of the Seniors. And I think that has the effect of uniting people, of wiping the slate clean and and allowing people to think of new novel solutions in an environment where people need new novel solutions. So those four things are things that you can kind of add to the mix. And so if you apply that to the bulls, emergence from catastrophe, I think one of the great things to come out of the, the last dance that I hadn't appreciated, I was a huge bulls fan growing up. Like if I got in trouble, I grew up in Philly, but huge bulls fan. If I got in trouble, my punishment was like, I can't watch the bulls. So huge fan, but didn't realize because I was two at the time that they got their ass kicked by the Pistons. And so like, yeah. you know, we're talking sports here. And so we're talking yeah. seniors on this kind of like micro level. So it's not going to be something like world war one, but right. they got their, their ass handed to them by, by the Pistons. And so my favorite part of the doc was that Jordan wasn't just like, you know, we're going to come back and we're going to try harder next year. And we're going to beat them. He was like, no, no, they physically, they physically dominated us. So we're spending all summer in the weight room and I'm going to be the first one there. And you guys are all going to be there and we're going to do this together. So this emergence from catastrophe kind of like drove them pushed them together and then like gave them a very specific thing they had to do. And then they went on and just like swept the, the Pistons the next year because they planned for, for that, that situation. Competition, I think is like not even worth talking about in this context. Like it's so very obvious that not just were the Bulls competitive with other teams, but Michael Jordan made every practice this incredibly competitive thing where if anybody was slacking at all and not giving their all, they were going to get death stares at the very least from Jordan. So everybody kind of pushed each other. Place-based ritual, I think, is, you know, sports in general are a good, a good breeding ground for the kind of teamwork that, that Seniors requires. And so if you're showing up, yeah. you have games, practice. Well, I think they also had the breakfast club where a few of the players would actually meet up ahead of practice, work out together. And so that's a great example of a place-based ritual. Very true. Yeah, very true. And, you know, like, I'm a huge Sixers fan. And so the Sixers, as they kind of emerged from being this awful team, started doing things where Brett Brown had the team every every week. Somebody on the team would have to present something interesting that they were that they were into to the rest of the team. So like JJ Redick would get up and present something. Someone else would come talk about snakes or whatever. And it's just this right. bonding experience that brings the team together that you know you're you're going to have to bring it for. And then diversity of thought and experience. I mean, I think. The Bulls that's are all Phil Jackson, right? Like that's what Phil that's Jackson. That's Phil Jackson, really but that's table. like he he enabled, like he enabled all these weirdos coming together. I think, like in the documentary, you really get a sense of the different personalities that are on the team. And so yeah. to have someone like a Dennis Rodman and a Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, who are all really different personalities from different places, come together, and then Phil kind of brings this East meets West philosophy to the whole mix, like. They're yeah. changing the way that, that the game is played. So I think those are the kind of four ingredients that, that I found in a bunch of the examples of seniors, and they're all like very clearly present with the Bulls. 
Yeah, totally. You mentioned how you can kind of add these ingredients to a talented group of people or an existing community that may be out there. How do you go about that? Because you know, whether it's within teams internally, right, or if you think about broader communities, you know, there's obviously such a huge need for these seniors to form, right? And it's obviously a lot harder to do when you're trying to do it intentionally. So how do you how do you explore that? And how do you like what are some of the neat tricks, ways that you've kind of learned kind of in your exploration or path that you've taken over the past several months now? How do you how do you form that? Yeah. So I mean I think uh, starting with emergence from catastrophe, I think that's that's kind of something that's both an ingredient, but it's really kind of like the baseline. And so that one's here right now for a lot of communities. And so you've seen any community that had any physical component move their move their experience online. People are you know relying on each other more than before. I think Ethel's Club is a phenomenal example here. Uh, it's a club for people of color in Brooklyn that's really totally changed their business model in in approaching uh, coronavirus. And so one, they started developing all this really great programming. They built a digital membership in like days once they saw that this was happening and, and got a bunch of people to sign up for their digital membership. And then they kind of remade Ethel's into a holding company that also had a big people of color focused content arm that just wouldn't have had existed before. So I think like one, just being really ready and open to realizing that the situation that you're in is different than it was before and adapting quickly. I think people who've been the most successful with their communities over the past few months have, have been the ones who have adapted the most quickly. Competition is one I think that's kind of more broad. Yeah. I think this is actually one where communities, some have it built in. So if you look at like Strava, Strava is actually a really interesting community of runners and bikers giving each other kudos, doing different doing different paths and racing each other all through this this app. And so they've built this really great community around fitness digitally. So, com- so competition is built in there. But I do think a lot of communities shy away from competition and it's it's pretty kumbaya in a lot of cases. And so, you know, as I think about not boring club, not currently, but when we're in person and we can talk about in person versus online. And I think like there's this yeah. kind of diagram about where in person and on and offline uh, or an online work best. But for me, it's you get this group of people that is really smart, friendly, could be kumbaya, all want to build more interesting lives together. But then you put them in things like debate where you, it's this friendly competition where you have to get up in front of the room and somebody comes out of it a winner. So even if it's this thing where you're supposed to be there to make friends and become more interesting, you're at least like kind of competing. And I think what I saw in running the first few debate clubs was that people emerge from that with so much more respect for each other because they've seen each other perform and seen each other like kind of do mini battle. So competition doesn't have to be zero sum uh for for this to work it can really be like a friendly thing that you that you add in place-based ritual i think is the most interesting one right now and so this is i think where we talk about online versus offline i've actually with not boring club really put it on simmer because with not boring club what i'm trying to build is a group of people that are united by the fact that they're smart curious want to build hobbies might have some passions that they've let wither but otherwise they don't look the same. They don't work in the same industries necessarily. It's not super niche. I think that works really well when you're meeting in person and building those bonds in person, since you don't have that like very easy thing to latch onto that you're all really interested in or that you've all an experience that you all share. Whereas I think some of the communities that have done best online in this transition are the ones that are super, super niche. So I'm in a newsletter writer is Telegram group, for example, that is 
super active because it's about one thing. And so everybody's trading tips and, t- and tricks around that one thing. And so I think it's, I think the kind of lesson to people building communities is understand what you are, understand if you're broad, if you're niche, and then adapt your uh, definition of place to that. Assuming that at some point in the next year, we have a choice about where we meet. If you're very, very specific, you can get away with being a lot more online, which makes you more scalable and all of those things. If you're a little bit broader, I think it's really important to build in in in-person meetings on a regular basis that people use to get comfortable with each other. And I think, you know, explored rite of passage itself uh, and a group called the inner intellect in in the essay and in both cases they're very online but there's an in-person component so i think the ones that succeed no matter how niche or how broad they are are going to be the ones that are most able to weave online and offline interaction together yeah no that makes a ton of sense it's interesting because the four ingredients that you talk about don't reference the fact that you have to love each other, right? I think when we think about competition, when we think about just community building overall, there's this assumption or underlying assumption where we all think that, you know, everyone needs to get along, everyone needs to love each other. And, and you know, that quite honestly does not need to be the case there. I think the best performing communities, not necessarily, you know, the best communities to be a part of, right? You may not feel great all the time, but the ones that perform the greatest, there is a healthy level of friction, right? I think, 100%. you know, speaking from my own, my own experience at Constellation Software, I, I mean, you know, there's different operating groups, there's different business groups, and there's intentional competition, intentional overlap in the companies you're trying to acquire. And I think part of the reason why Constellation Software has done so well is because they have this competition, right? I think if everyone had their own defined boundaries and it was clear that each person was going after completely different spaces, there wouldn't be a lot of competition and you won't have the expansive growth that a company like Constellation has. And I think if you look at any other point in time in history, any other seniors, like we call it, they don't like each other. They don't love each other, right? Totally. They have respect for each other, but they don't, like, they're not best friends with each other, right? And I think those are the types of seniors that lie. But that's such a far you know, a twisted way of how we think about communities, because normally when we think about communities, we think about you know, a group of people who like each other, who get along with each other, speak great things about one another. But in fact, I think a great t- like sign of a high performance seniors is actually the fact that they don't like each other. A hundred percent. So I, in the, in the essay, distinguish between communities, which are a group of people that get together, they like each other, they talk about ideas, they whatever. And the seniors, which has the difference that it's creative and that it's foundational for, for future for future groups. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces that there has to be a little bit of that friction. There has to be that competition for people to produce work that's great and that other gener- that future generations want to build on top of, have no choice in building on top of. I mean, you look at like all the way back, the first seniors that I talk about in the essay is ancient Greece and like the amount of things that we still rely on from ancient Greece is incredible given that it's this one little place in the Mediterranean 2,000, 3,000 years ago. But the philosophical schools in ancient Greece were competing with each other for students all the time. And so they had to sharpen their philosophies and one, make them more interesting, which has helped them withstand the test of time. But two, they're like publicly battling each other and trying to poke holes in each other's in each other's philosophies. And so when that happens, like you're in this kind of friendly group at the time, which is other philosophers in Athens, 
and you're working out all the kinks together in this group so that then like by the time it emerges from that something emerges that can withstand the test of time because all the holes have been kind of poked out of it and that happens over and over and over again through seeing this i mean i think my favorite example that i used in the piece was talking about motown which wasn't one of my original examples but i watched a, a documentary on showtime called pittsville usa and it was just like textbook scene. So they go through all the different factors that kind of made Motown the success that it was. And Motown produced eight of Billboard's best 100 performing artists. And it's just like, it started as this little house on a suburban looking block in Detroit and produced eight of the greatest artists in the history of music. And a few of the things that struck out there were one competition was like, not just a thing that happened because you had a bunch of music, musicians together, but Barry Gordy, who started Moran, started and ran Motown in his meetings would have one song compete against another for the one that the company was going to promote. And you could have Marvin Gaye walk into a room and bring a song to the table and have it get totally shut down because the Temptations had a better song. And so like that song just won that time that Marvin Gaye would have to go back and work it and maybe collaborate with somebody else to give it that pop that would make it worth, that would make it, make it worth them promoting. So I thought that was super interesting. Diversity of thought and experience. Motown was, was, of and for and by Black people. But Barry Gordy also realized that at the time, I mean, we're talking about an era during the civil rights movement when the Motown artists couldn't even go to the bathroom or eat in some of the venues that they performed in. And so he was kind of hero to the Black music community. And he got a lot of shit for bringing white people in and putting women in, in senior roles in the company. But he realized that for Motown to be successful, for his artist music to get played, for the music itself to get out to the wider population, he had to bring in all sorts of people. So his head of sales was this white guy who many kind of radio radio station producers and DJs and whoever else were just frankly more comfortable dealing with at the time when the country was you know a lot more racist than, than it is today. And so he used that diversity to get the music played on every radio station in the country and make it a big thing and be able to get into venues that they wouldn't have been able to get into otherwise. So just the fact that he was so intentional about so many of the ingredients that, that go into creating Xenius, I thought was awesome. But yeah, it wasn't necessarily, it was a fun place, but there were also battles. And, and I think that's a big part of this. Yeah, for sure. Going to the point of online versus offline. Right. And I know this topic gets talked about a lot, dissected, lots of different opinions on that. How do you form a strong genius online? Because I think one of the unfortunate things that I've noticed with COVID, as well as just you know being present from a digital perspective, is that it's very individual based. Right? It's very hard to kind of feel a part of a community, feel a part of a group of people, uh, much less compete and build that kind of relationship with a group of people online. And so what are different ways that you've seen work as far as building that seniors online? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really finding a niche or a shared mission or goal that people kind of ha- already come in with a shared vocabulary and a shared mission and the ability to kind of exchange tools and techniques at an advanced enough level that they're interested in the conversation and interested in working with these people. So it's really, I think you can kind of create a more grassroots seamless offline and build slowly and all that online. It almost has to be a bit more intentional where you're, you're bringing together the people who are the best at a certain thing to solve a certain problem. And so like, this isn't necessarily a seamless, but you know, in a situation like COVID, you have Google and Apple working together, which like almost never happens. You have people from different companies and countries coming together who are, you know, like the best position to fix 
the mask supply chain and they're coming together and working together because they all come with a, a shared uh, understanding of manufacturing and supply chain or the medical community coming together to develop, if not cures, because that's still happening within drug companies, but developing different kind of procedures for people to follow and different recommendations, people coming together who already have that kind of shared language and vocabulary and, and professional respect for each other. I think you almost need that to be in place if you try to do it solely online. I think one of the interesting things that will emerge from this is like uh, people are realizing that Zoom is great, but it's not like we're not about to spend all of our lives on Zoom. I think that got old for people pretty quickly. And so I'm sure right now somewhere people are working on tools that make meeting in a group one-on-one online feel kind of more realistic to the the offline experience. I think we're years away from that happening. And this is like a call for the metaverse, but just something that makes group interaction more comfortable and, and easy online. And so maybe in 10 years, my answer will be different. And there are actually ways that you can build a seniors of people from different backgrounds and different levels and all of that. For now, I think it's go niche, get the best people in a field together. And then in that case, you can connect people from all over the world and you have this unprecedented access to talent in different places that they can come together. But I think that's a bit more intentional and a bit more kind of like goal-driven than this like thing kind of emerging that you can then pour fire on. I think really the best is going online and offline. Got it. I'm going to challenge you a bit on that. I think obviously there's a tool component. You know, technology is huge in this. And, you know, obviously another piece that you mentioned is having a common goal. The more specific it is, the better. And, you know, David calls it kind of having your, you know, frequency very specific so that everyone who's listening to that frequency can follow that. I think the biggest piece that people are missing is this idea of creating kind of competition. I, I think, and, you know, you'll probably notice that I'm pretty big on that point by now, but I think social media in particular, and we see this on Twitter as well as LinkedIn or anything else, the idea of, you know, first posting your ideas online, very big kind of step in your journey as kind of a digital individual, right? But what's even harder is disagreeing with someone else's viewpoint, right? It's one thing to ignore a viewpoint, which is great, um, but it's, well, not so great in my opinion. But it's another thing to actually put yourself out there and disagree with an individual. And most of the time, the people who are doing the disagreeing have already achieved quite a bit for themselves, right? People kind of are way too polite. They don't disagree. If they are competing, it's very silent, right? No one openly competes. And so when we think about, you know, different communities, right, whether it's Slack, Twitter, or the case might be, as far as technology goes, there's just such a lack of desire to compete. And that hurts everyone overall, does it not? I don't know if it's a lack of desire to compete. I think it's really hard to come across as competing respectfully on public Hmm. open forums, like a Twitter, like a Facebook, like a LinkedIn. Even with somebody like there's different power dynamics at play and like all these different things where like if somebody has a hundred thousand followers and you have 200 followers and you want to disagree with them, you're just kind of a troll in their comments. And like, they'll be unhappy with you for a second. Probably nobody's going to notice it. Like you don't really achieve anything. You see like tech versus the journalists during this whole thing. That's a little bit different. That's two groups with big followings, but it seems so much more antagonistic than it would be if, Kara Swisher and Balaji got together in the same room and had a conversation one-on-one or even in a group. 
you just lose a lot of the cues. There's studies that that show that you like when you're playing kind of like game theoretical games with people in person versus online, you make much more selfish moves when you're online, when you can't see the person's face than when you can see the person's face. And so I think you lose a lot of like the soft context of of being in person with someone, which, you know, in-person disagreement is my favorite thing. I started a a debate club. I think it's way harder to get that done in a productive way online. Now within a smaller closed community, within a Slack group, I think that's, that's good. Particularly, frankly, I think the groups that have done very well, in addition to being very niche, if they're a little bit broader, but they've been around for a while and people know each other in person, I think that's also helpful. And that allows you to, to argue with each other a little bit more. But I think it's really hard to go cold start in a public forum with people that you maybe don't know and who don't know who you are and communicate just through text. It makes it really hard to pick up on a lot of the different context that's necessary for a really good, productive, civil disagreement. Fair enough. I think the closest, and and this is why I've been following the gaming industry so closely, I think the closest is esports, right? Where we'll see kind of this healthy level of competition. And if it's used in a productive way, i.e. kind of like game development using, for example, the Unreal Engine, right? And, And building games off of that or building you know, essentially whole environments off of that. I think that like what the development... I didn't, what I didn't yeah. realize, and I think your listeners need to know, that the Mandalorian was shot with the, uh, like was all pretty much built through the Unreal Engine. Like they shot on a soundstage in Los Angeles, that yep. whole world that you see in the Mandalorian. So I was reading the the six feet, six piece Matthew Ball article on, on the Unreal Engine and on Epic in general and, and all of that. And it's, it made me so hopeful because I think I'm going to run out of content soon that you can actually yeah. create these whole worlds on top of the Unreal Engine with like yeah. a couple actors and a sound stage and a few people. So we actually might be able to get new content. But I interrupted you. That was just like the coolest thing that I learned this week. Yeah, no, but I, I think with the, you know, with virtual gaming and esports and all that kind of stuff, I think we will start to see seniuses formed through those environments. And I think that's probably the closest that we'll come to to creating a seniors because you're right. I think, you know, forming a seniors, let's say on Twitter, pretty difficult, right? People take things way too personally. Like you said, there's a lot of power dynamics in play. I think Rite of Passage and other online courses, another interesting area where there could be a seniors. I think the biggest thing holding online courses back, even the ones that are well run, like Rite of Passage, is the competition element. I think everything else is there, right? I think it, it is. Well, I actually, kind of forming. I actually think, I think he, I, I think he can maybe do a little bit more with it. But there was a point early in Rite of Passage where David Tiago like picked my essay out as the one that they wanted to talk about that week. And it's probably yeah. the reason that I'm still writing. So I got that right. like little hit of like, oh, cool. Like I'm, I am better than these other people right now. Sure. And so because I had that like initial dopamine hit, it's yeah. kind of encouraged me to, to keep going. So I, th- I think there's a little bit of like kind of subtle competition there, but I think you're right. The more, the more that you can throw in, like if you look at Pioneer, like it, it's what the whole, are you familiar with Pioneer? Yeah. So it's like global global entrepreneurship competition, essentially, where like you work on projects and they get uploaded or downvoted and the top 50 win all these amazing prizes, like access to these these incredible yeah. mentors and money and 
trips to San Francisco and all of that. But it's based on this idea of a global leaderboard where like nobody dies if, if you lose, but if you win, the prize is phenomenal and maybe life-changing because you're t- taking people from all over the world and giving them kind of Silicon Valley access. And so I think the thing that they do really well is, is that kind of competition that doesn't harm anybody if they lose, but really, really helps the winners. And so I think that that's maybe where online competition ends up going. Yeah. Totally. And I think, well, yeah, going back to the point, like I think the areas where I would look for as far as online geniuses forming is gaming as well as online courses where this, like, you know, the specific purpose is already there. You're going through some crazy ups and, ups and downs, which is really the catastrophe point. You're more likely to get diversity just from the variety of people that come in it. And, you know, you're also going to get healthy competition. I think, you know, the next, like the earlier generation of this was GitHub, right? And, and the whole developer market, right? Like I think, you know, there was a bunch of cool communities forming out of just being a developer and working with other developers on GitHub, on on, on other tools as well, and just kind of one-upping each other as far as coding goes. But I think that's going to start the subside of it. You're going yeah. to see parts of that come up with no code tools. But I'm really interested to seeing the gaming space, because I think there's just a ton of untapped potential there. And I think with the right ingredients and a senior swarming there, uh, huge, huge kind of developments could come out of that. I mean, that's like Ender's Game, right? Did you, have you read Ender's yeah. Game? Yep. These people coming together, tough situation, thinking that they're playing video games and ending up saving the world. So, I mean, I think that's yeah. know, the, the furthest extension of what that looks like. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Before we wrap up, I mean, how do we think about any kind of closing thoughts around the idea of forming seniuses? Yeah, I think one of the things, and I didn't really write about this as much in the essay, but is just like even the awareness of the idea has been really powerful to me. So I've wanted to both join and start groups of the most talented people that I can find just because I've been more aware of the power of this concept. So instead of trying to do things by myself, getting into groups where I know that like everybody in there is going to push me to, to be better. So I think just that recognition of, of the fact that you're going to be better in a group than you are alone, almost certainly, whether that's you got really lucky and all of your friends from college are really successful and do everything that you can to hold on to them, or you need to find a new group of people who will push each other in, in the field that, that you're in now. That's a huge thing to to look out for. And I think particularly now, and this is partially seniors and partially just the world that we're in that I think will create the conditions for seniors, but there's so much blank slate opportunity right now. Regulations will be relaxing. And there's like, you see it in things as small as you're allowed to serve and deliver alcohol as a restaurant now, right? Like, so a lot of things will change to meet the the current conditions and the current crisis. And so be ready to like get a group of people together and take advantage of those. And I think people with the with ideas for how to fix the world out of this are going to be yeah. rewarded. Yeah, totally. And, and it's going to be very kind of, you know, one-off rewards. I think, you know, we're going to see a massive tail end of like attempts and then like some really massive rewards coming out. But yeah, to your point, I think, I mean, that's a big reason why I started the fellowship, right? For me, it was the opportunity to work with David, the opportunity to kind of work with some really talented people right, who are also interested in writing. And, and we all ended up creating a long form essay. Right? Apart from that, there's really no business for me to kind of be working with all these people. And like individually, there's no way we would have kind of connected with each other. Right? Yep. And I think uh, that part was 
definitely interesting. I think, yeah, like it, the reason why, you know, I wanted to share this topic with my, my followers is largely because I think it is one of those mind shifts where once you start recognizing and identifying seniuses and communities, it really changes how you look at opportunities. Like for me, I think a big thing that I'm personally trying to do is kind of like trade up, right? Where you're looking to kind of constantly build new connections and and the newsletter, the podcast are all forms of trading up, right? Instead of thinking about it as a regular one-on-one conversation, you trade up and you continue to kind of build connections, build exposure and friendships with people who you normally wouldn't have uh, connected with otherwise. And I think from a seniors building perspective, your potential to build a seniors or even be a part of a seniors is just that much higher when you're constantly going through the cycle of learning, right? AKA publishing, like both you and I, like we've been doing newsletters for several months now. And the second piece is just having as many interesting conversations as possible, right? So I think obviously the whole idea of creating a seniors, super meta, you know, not everyone has to create a seniors. However, even understanding, identifying seniors and communities that can be a seniors and playing whatever role you can will probably take you a lot further in this digital world than even a physical world where you were limited from based on location. Totally. And I mean, I think in our our little part of the world, like, you know, there's 300 million, million people on Twitter, for example, but like the impact of getting involved in a group of people with a bigger reach and who you can learn from and all of that just gets amplified, right? Like you're having these conversations with really like the flip side of the, the challenge of, of disagreeing with people is that there's also the opportunity to like have these big, awesome conversations in public with people. And then other people find your ideas because somebody who follows that person then gets to see you and then you get to talk to somebody else. So it's a, an incredible tool for making new connections and kind of building your group and finding what your group should be. But I think you're absolutely right. Like, even if you're not creating a seniors, just looking out for little things where like, you know, the network effects of success can come into play. And if, if you do well, you can bring other people up. And if other people do well, they can bring you up. And just looking for even just the little parts that you can incorporate into your own life and into the, the life of the communities that you're a part of, I think is there's, there's no downside to incorporating any one of the ingredients by itself into, into your community. Exactly. And with that, Taki, great to have you on. I think this was an awesome conversation. If you want to follow Packy, follow him on Twitter, follow his uh, or subscribe to his newsletter. Lots of great content there. Highly recommend it. And yeah, look forward to continuing the conversation. This was a blast. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Thank you.